Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Molly Rands. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We're very pleased to have Guy Sakalakis, founder of Attorney Sync, an online legal marketing agency, join us today as our podcast guest to talk about building your law firm web presence with a focus on using an in-house team versus working with a consultant. So, Guy, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners? Sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you get something valuable out of today's conversation. I am still a licensed Michigan attorney, but I haven't been practicing since 2007-ish, at which point, I, uh, as was mentioned, I founded a digital marketing agency for law firms. I'm back in Michigan and I just moved back from Chicago. Great to be back in Michigan. And um, yeah, just love helping lawyers find ways to use the internet to um, market their practice. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being here today, Guy. What do we mean when we talk about web presence or digital legal marketing? It's a great question. And we used to be that you kind of drew this distinction between traditional marketing and then digital marketing. So, you know, 10 years ago, people would say, oh, you know, digital marketing is this brand new, shiny thing. It's different. But the thing I always say is that it's really the same you know, as, as much as things change, they really stay the same. It's just a new set of tools for us to be able to demonstrate our expertise, meet new people, network, answer questions where we can. And, and so what we found is, is that it's really the, the line is blurred. It's not real world networking, you know, and especially in light of covid that, that line has even been blurred more because we've all been relegated uh, to stay away from each other. And so it's the same type of stuff, though. It's the same traditional notions of client development, of reputation demonstration, getting to know people, socializing. But it's just happening online. It's happening on our phones. It's happening uh, across social platforms. It's happening through email. It's happening through searches. So that's kind of what I think about it. So I really take a very expansive view of web presence. It's anything that someone could see about you on the web or anywhere digitally. So, Guy, what does an effective web presence actually look like, in your opinion? So the short answer there is it's one that is helps the firm meet its marketing objectives, meet its growth objectives. Of course, the there's a lot of nuance there, right? Uh, everybody's firm's a little different. Everybody's practice is a little bit different. And so I, when, I, we, when I talk to lawyers about this and they ask that question, I always think, you know, well, what do you want it to do for you? Do you want it to be a source of new business? Do you want it just to be kind of this informational brochureware that just helps people find contact information? You know, what are your objectives? Um, you know, and then and there's a big spectrum there. Some firms are just getting uh, accustomed to this idea of being online. You know, I know there are a lot of ethics concerns and there can be a lot of trepidation about navigating that appropriately. But then there are also very sophisticated firms that are like they have a target cost per acquisition of a client and they want their web presence to deliver on that target cost per acquisition in a reliable and predictable way. And, and there's everybody in between. I, always, I think it starts with if you're, if you're listening to this and you're just kind of getting familiar with the web in general, start to brainstorm what you want the web to do. Like what role do you want it to serve? What role does social networking or search or email marketing, all this different stuff, what's it play in the context of your specific practice? And and what kind of metrics, what kind of 
you know, numbers need to be in place for it to work as a, a reliable business tool for you. Guy, can you share with our listeners how we decide what to invest? So for example, time and money into the digital presence? It's a struggle. I know the ABA in their latest tech report, I'll probably get these numbers wrong, but you can go search for the ABA tech report 2020. But you know, a lot of firms, they don't even think about marketing budgets in this way. And so I, I, the one thing I always tell everybody, I'm like, if you're going to spend time or money, and it's time and money, it's not just money. Because people will say, oh, well, I'm not spending any money on marketing. It's like, well, are you spending money on speaking? Are you spending money on networking? Are you spending time on writing? Are you spending time on teaching? Like there's cost to every minute that we spend. And so, you know, it's kind of a long-winded way of saying, you got to start thinking about your budget as a function of some metric, business metric, economic metric at your firm, whether that's a percentage of your total fee base. Uh, some people talk about percentages of uh, gross profit. Some people talk about a percentage of net profit, but starting to think about, and if these are all, if all of this is new to you, the great thing is, is you can go look at the uh, SBA.gov small business administration has tons of information on this. The internet's full of information about trying to make decisions about marketing budgets, but it has to fit. There has to be a budget. If you don't have a budget, you can't manage to it. You can't measure it. You can't look back and say, hey, what we spent time and money on was effective. Um, and it all starts with the the budgeting. And so people will say to me, all right, that sounds great, Guy, but well, how much money should we spend specifically? And if you're really going to twist my arm, uh, depending on your type of firm you're in and depending on where you are in your firm's growth and uh, life cycle, you're probably somewhere between 6 and 15% of your uh, gross profit is if you really want to twist my arm and, and make me put a number on it, but it's all over the map. You know, it depends on overhead. It depends on number of attorneys at your firm. It depends on number of matters and clients you can handle. There's all sorts of factors that go into it, but rough gauge, I'd say 10% of your gross profit, if you had to really make me say something. So I know that many firms or Particularly, I would think the larger firms tend to have or maybe more inclined to have in-house teams or a team for building their digital marketing platform and search engine optimization. What's the different factors that go in between choosing? Should you have an in-house team or should you hire a consultant or potentially both? Right. Great question. And, you know, my bias admitted, right? I have I own a digital marketing agency. But I've also been at a firm and I've had, you know, I've had a lot of conversations over the years. And so this is a really, really good question. And my attitude is, even with my bias, I would say our best situations when we tend to have the most effective results for firms is when it's both, right? Whether it's a an in-house resource or it's an attorney at the firm who's going to take a proactive role in the marketing, some internal advocate who really knows the firm inside and out on the ground, what's going on on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis, and then working with an agency that can help in a variety of different ways. So, you know, taking that that internal knowledge and then uh, whether it's helping them distribute content or whether it's helping put together a content strategy or a link building campaign or fixing, you know, Google My Business listings, that collaboration with the internal marketing people and the agency tends to be the best. But the other big factor here is, is that, is, you know, stuff costs money, right? You got to either, if you've got an in-house person, you've got a salary to pay. If you're paying, working with an agency, you have an agency fee to pay. And so the, the big thing that I want lawyers to think about when making decisions about uh, whether to do in, in-house or outsourced or both is really a, make, don't forget to consider all of the costs associated with, with each. So agencies are, it's pretty easy to quantify. You're just like, 
whatever fee I pay the agency, whether it's a project basis, a month to month, if it's a retainer or it's a percentage of ad spend, whatever that fee arrangement is, it's pretty clear. You know, you're either an ACH payment or your credit card payment or you're writing a check to that agency. The, the place that most businesses, not just lawyers, but lawyers also tend to not think about in terms of the cost of the in-house, you know, they get the salary part. They're like, well, the cost is how much I pay in a salary. Well, that's true. But there's also, you know, payroll tax, there's the overhead, there's equipment. But the big one is the management time. And so that's that's the thing that I always tell people is that if you're going to build an in-house team, it sounds awesome, but it's not an apples for apples, just their salaries versus agency fee. It's their salaries, the additional costs of full-time employees, as well as the time and money it takes to actually manage that team internally. And so, you know, different, for, I know lots of firms that make it work in each of those contexts. Some are doing great job with in-house teams alone. Some are outsourcing everything to agencies. Some have some kind of hybrid, but when you're really trying to think about the total costs involved, uh, you've got to take in consideration all those time costs that might not be as tangible as just the salary costs. And then two, I think the other thing that I always talk about when you're talking about the in-house versus outsourced is, are you building a team that is well-rounded? That That's the other area where it's like, you know, I have somebody that, do, that does my paid search in-house, but is that person also running your SEO? Are they also running your email marketing? Are they also uh, helping you nurture your referrals? Um, are they doing all those other things? And so, you know, it can become a pretty big team. And that, that's where I think if you work with a conjunction of both an in-house resource as well as an agency, you get some of that specialization from the agency that can help support your, your in-house people. But hopefully that helps provide some clarity on how to make those decisions. It does. And our listeners may want to know what questions should they be asking their marketing folks, whether in-house or agency partners? Yeah, it's probably the most important question of all. And it really comes down to defining success in advance. And so, you know, we talked at the outset, you know, kind of bringing it full circle in the conversation, but we talked on the outset about uh, what are the types of things that you want your web presence to do? And if those are tied to business objectives, if they're tied to specific growth objectives, start to have those conversations very, you know, if you're working with an agency, like right away, you know, hey, what can we expect in terms of how this is going to uh, work from a performance standpoint? You know, what is 30 days in, what is it going to look like? 60 days in, six months in, a year in, you know, do you, can you provide us a forecast, even if it's loose? Because that is really going to be, it's going to set the tone for your ability to manage and to measure the effectiveness of it. So you, you, we talk about things like return on investment, return on ad spend, target cost per uh, acquisition, target cost per potential client inquiry, getting aligned both with your internal resources or your agency on those numbers is really, really important. And then again, you might not even have those expectations for your web presence. Your web, it might be something like, if you want to simplify things, it might be, grow my uh, organic impressions for searches on my name, because that's a proxy for my brand recognition, right? So how many people every month are searching for my name or my firm name? Or it might be that you just, you know, you, you know, you need some presence, but you're really not ready to build a sophisticated marketing plan. And so you might say, you know, look, I'm more of a, in a more of a deliverables situation. And so I just want to see that I'm getting, you know, my Facebook page is being regularly updated, or I'm, I'm adding posts on Google My Business on a regular basis. And so then, then you get into, well, I might be defining it in terms of delivering on time and on budget. That's a slightly different way to think about it. But it's just the whole point of all of this to answer your question is, is to define what success looks like at the outset so that it's not unclear to you and that it's not, there's not opacity in, in the services that are being delivered. I mean, 
the thing that we always come back to, especially when you talk about SEO, is people will say things like, well, my agency is telling me like my rankings are going up. And I'm always like, well, rankings for what? And, and what are those are those rankings turning into visitors to your site that are actually calling your firm and that are hiring you? And and are you, you know, how are you calculating the cost for those phone calls uh, versus what you're paying for, um, you know, whether it's an outsourced partner or an internal resource or the time that you're spending yourself? Those are the ways to to really get to the the answer of what success looks like and, and those conversations that you should be having um, with your marketing people so that you don't feel like you're in the dark about like, I don't know what any of this stuff does. I know I need it, but I don't really know what it's doing. I don't really, I can't really see what direction we're going in and, and what role it's playing in terms of the growth of my firm. So Guy, now that we've taken kind of an aerial view here, can we take a little bit deeper dive now and really demystify because everyone knows about Google ads or they know that it exists, but they really don't know much much about how Google ads work. And also there are local services ads. Um, and then we've got the Google ads and Google My Business. How do all of these things compete and work if you if you can? Let's let's talk Google. So if you're sitting and listening to this and you're either in front of your computer or your smartphone, go ahead and search on, so we'll start with a search on your name. So go ahead and search on your name, give you a second to do that and let's keep talking. You know, the first things that you're gonna see up there, if you're not doing any advertising, you're probably, maybe you see, don't see anything if you've done nothing online, but maybe you see a, a, a map pack with, you know, a listing of your firms, like information and contact information. And usually that's gonna be displayed in the Google My Business platform. Maybe you see a directory listing. Okay. So that's the first thing we call that the brand search. You know, usually it's going to be your firm website, Google, my business listing, maybe an Avo listing. Um, if you haven't done anything online, probably not going to be a ton of different things for you to see. All right. Now let's do a new search search for your practice area plus city plus attorney. So if I'm in Chicago, maybe I'm searching for a Chicago divorce lawyer. Okay. The first thing you might see there are these little headshots of lawyers with stars below them. And some of them might have little green check boxes. Those are the local services ads. They're, we call them the ads on top of the ads because they're, they're a newer program. It's paper lead, so paper phone call as opposed to paper click, which is more the traditional Google ad uh, option. You can qualify the advertising based on a practice area. And so if someone calls you and say you're a divorce lawyer and they call you for personal injury thing, you can dispute that and try to get a refund from Google. But it's based, the key difference there from a advertising standpoint is that it's based on, not on a click, but on a pay per phone call. And so there's, um, there's different economics that go into that. The next, the next ads, the more traditional Google ads, again, you pay Google. This is you pay Google, not, not the free stuff, or you pay somebody else. Those are the traditional Google ads. This, the short version of how those work is that you choose keywords that you want to show your ads on. So maybe you want to show your ad when someone searches for a Chicago divorce lawyer, and then you enter a bid um, and you can bid per click. So every time someone clicks on your ad, whether they call you or not, or whether they sign up with you or not, or fill out a web form or not, you pay Google for that click. I mean, it's auction based. So all the competing lawyers on those same queries are setting different bids and Google has a fancy ad algorithm that decides which ones to show where and when. And then as you scroll past those ads, you're gonna get those map pack results. There'll probably be a little map in there and you'll probably, usually you'll see three firm listings. 
some of those might actually show ad. There are ads in the map packs now. You, you can't really manage directly to that section. But the other two listings are if they don't show an ad demarcation, those are Google My Business listings. And so Google My Business is free. You can go sign up for it. I, I highly, if you do nothing else online, that's the one thing that I suggest you check out because regardless of how people hear about you, they're likely to go look you up online. And when they do, they're going to go to Google for the most part. And Google My Business is a great way to put your best foot forward, control that messaging, give them access to things like your phone number, your address. Uh, you can answer frequently asked questions in there. Like, so maybe you have driving directions or the types of cases that you handle, or maybe some firms I see put uh, their fee schedules in there and that kind of thing. And then below those map packs is your traditional organic results. That's like the SEO stuff. That's the content links, technical fixes to get your site to rank. You can't pay for Google for those listings. You can't pay Google for the organic Google My Business listings either, but that's kind of the lay of the land of organic search today. There are some other features that you'll see, like there are these rich snippets that come up or featured snippets. Those are more of like, you, if you type something in there that Google thinks it can answer, it'll provide the answer. So, you know, maybe you, if you typed in like, what's the statute of limitations for personal injury claim in my state, Google might try to give you an answer for that. That's a, a featured snippet. Again, we're going to, that we'd be going super deep on that. But I think the big thing that I always tell people to, to take away from on Google, Google makes it very, you know, number one, Google is, the risk of saying the obvious, a publicly traded company. They make money for the most part when people click ads on Google. And so their motivation from a uh, shareholder value perspective in this context is to generate clicks, not necessarily to generate return on ad spend for the advertisers. Now, I'm sure that people at Google would say, yeah, we'd love to make sure that our advertisers have return on ad spend that, continue, that keeps them continuing to spend money. But Google makes it very easy to open an advertising account, but it's not as intuitive and easy to manage to return on ad spend or return uh, to a, cost, a specific target cost per acquisition, cost per client. And so that's where either you need, to, if you're going to manage your own ads, you got to go through the, at least do the basic ad certification. Otherwise, I'd suggest you get somebody else's, someone that does this, whether you hire an in-house person or with an agency to actually take a look at this stuff. But again, just to, to level set in competitive landscapes, you know, if you're in a big market and you're in personal injury, um, one of the major consumer facing practice areas, some of these clicks can be hundred dollars, hundreds of dollars a click. And so I always, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're talking about budgeting, you kind of want to work backwards and say, you know, look, what's the target value of this, of a client in this context for me? And then how much am I willing to spend to attract that client? That's going to give you this idea of cost per client. And your target cost per client needs to be some factor less than what the fee generated is, or it's not going to be a profitable endeavor. So, you know, if you want round numbers, you know, uh, maybe you use one tenth for your target cost per acquisition. Obviously, so if you if a ten thousand dollar fee is generated from a particular client, maybe you can spend up to a thousand dollars to generate the client. Again, I'm just throwing those numbers out. You actually need to do this math for yourself and figure out what makes sense for your firm, considering your goals and your overhead and all that kind of stuff. But that's essentially where I tell lawyers to start because they, again, I can't tell you how many lawyers I talk to that will say, oh yeah, we tried Google ads. It doesn't work. And it's like, well, what did you do? Well, we were broad matching lawyer. And it's like, well, you were, so every time someone searched on lawyer, regardless of where they were in the state, regardless of the type of lawyer they were looking for. And in fact, you just broad match. So sometimes even if they weren't even searching for lawyer, you were showing ads to them and generating clicks that's usually where it becomes, you can run up a quick bill on Google ads and not see anything for it. So anyway, there's a lot to be unpacking there, but the local services ads are a new feature that they're trying, Google's trying to make it a little bit more straightforward. 
go ahead and uh, fill out your Google My Business profile. Uh, the other big one that comes up because it is linked to your Google My Business listing in the ads is your reviews. And so I, another thing, another just good practice for thinking about this ad stuff or digital marketing in general is go see what your competitors are showing in their ads. So if your competitors are open 24 hours, if they're uh, publishing fees in their ads that are more competitive than yours, and if they have hundreds of reviews and you don't have any, that might not be a place to put a lot of your resources in the short term because even if you're able to compete for the visibility, consumers are going to tend to gravitate and click on ads that show better open, you know, if they're open when you're not open, things like, um, you know, they've got more positive reviews than you do, maybe more. They even, uh, local services ads will even publish years of experience based on what you uh, submit when you're filling out the profile. So, you know, if you're a brand new lawyer and you're competing with lawyers that are publishing, I've got 60 years experience and add next to yours, you know, think about the impact and um, what the local services, uh, legal services consumer is going to be likely to click on. So those are those are a lot of different things that you need to be thinking about in terms of uh, before you go out and spend a bunch of money on this stuff. And again, if you're going to do nothing else, if this is, if this is all sounds very complicated and like gobbledygook to you, then I would just start with Google My Business. I mean, when you have happy clients that want to sing your praises, maybe you uh, direct them to Google My Business to say something nice about you. Because again, that's where the the most visibility for searches on your name. When someone goes to look you up online, no matter how they hear about you, that's probably uh, going to play a significant role in a lot of those searches. Gee, I've heard that one shouldn't underestimate the power of an of an organic search campaign coupled with a paid search. Do you agree with that? And can you speak to that? You know, there's a couple of different ways to think about this. You know, the uh, Google actually has a bu- has published a bunch on the impact of when you have both a paid ad and an organic listing for any given search. And the the short version is, is that in a lot of contexts, we see that there's a better, there's a more efficient performance result. I think there's a bunch of factors at play there. And you can go, if you go search at Think with Google, Google had published a lot of really interesting stuff on case studies and data that they have on ads and organic listings in general. But because the one that always comes up is, well, if I already rank number one for my name organically, why would I buy an ad? And there's some, there's a valid question. And the other thing I always say about this is you got to do your own testing because what I'm going to say is not a blanket thing that can apply for every firm in every situation. And so if your data shows something different, go with your data, go with your testing. Don't take my word for it because I have never seen your data. But the short version is, is that you can actually, there's things you can do for ads. You get a lot more control of your message. You can do specific offers in an ad where in your organic listing, it's not quite as easy to manipulate the, whether it's the page title or the meta description that generates the little listing in Google and non-brand queries, you know, we see that there are, it's just more bites at the apple because not all of the eyeballs and clicks are going to go to that first organic result. And so even if you rank number one organically, you're probably missing out on a lot of that share of voice, especially now you got, as we talked about earlier, local services ads, that's certainly going to command a lot of attention. It's the top of the page, but even the more traditional Google ads and other search listings that might not be that number one traditional organic result. And so again, it's, if it fits within the blend, if the blended target cost per acquisition across both your paid search campaigns and your organic search traffic fits that number that you're going after, 
then I would say you should be uh, trying to test both. And, and in fact, it's not sufficient just to be running an ad and then not think about SEO and it's and vice versa. And I think also there's just some good common sense there where, you know, you want to diversify. In fact, you know, I was just writing about this the other day. You don't put all your eggs into any single basket. Don't put them all into the Google ads basket. Don't put them all into the SEO basket. Don't put them all into the digital basket. But, you know, diversify. And in fact, even from a digital standpoint, I always tell, always look at firms in their Google Analytics uh, reporting to look at their channel reports. And so you want to see a good mix of traffic to your website from email, from organic search, from paid search, from uh, specific campaigns that you're running, from social media. Um, and that's just digital, right? And so if, when you're going back to the beginning, when you're talking about this budget and like, how do I spend money and time? Don't put everything into a single bucket or a single channel or a single platform or a single expert. Make sure you're diversifying those marketing activities because that, that's really the best way to, uh, you know, one, to withstand a, an organic algorithm update or a new competitor coming into ads. It's just good practice. Same thing we talk about when you're talking about investing money, just a diversified marketing portfolio. I've heard you say in the past, and I don't know if you still feel this way or not, but you said that you really recommend that sites be built on WordPress. Why is that? And for instance, I'm thinking of another platform. What about like Concrete 5? Can you speak to that? Sure. So I tend still to recommend WordPress. Uh, so that really hasn't changed. But I guess my big thing with WordPress is, is that it's released on the open source general use license. And so once you build on WordPress, you have a global community of developers and designers and plugin builders and theme builders, um, and you're not paying a licensing fee to anybody at WordPress versus any proprietary platform. So whether that's Squarespace or Wix or any other proprietary platform, you got to pay for that software to use that software. And then if you decide you want to switch off of that software, you got a you got a problem because you're going to have to pay somebody to actually do the migration to the next platform. And so and so I say that and I and I know a lot of my friends in the space they push back and they say things like, "Well, WordPress is very complicated. You got to configure it. You need a developer." And I and I'm certainly sympathetic to that. I would say though, if you're not going to do WordPress, check out a proprietary platform. Like I think Squarespace is probably fine. Again, talking about budgetary, you got to take in consideration the budget and all that kind of stuff. But the big thing too is, is like there's probably a short list of proprietary platforms that are okay. But in the long run, if you're, if you're going to make the web a significant part of your client generation uh, activities and you're going to be regularly publishing and you're going to be regularly adding varieties of different types of content. You want to change, you want to test layouts, you want to test different site architectures. WordPress gives you a lot more flexibility and control over the site itself than something like uh, Squarespace or, or Wix or another proprietary platform in the box. Now, again, that it might be, those might be perfect for you. Squarespace, don't, don't get me wrong, Squarespace might be the perfect option for you, but you just got to kind of balance these competing factors of, uh, scalability, flexibility, the amount of money you're spending on on hosting and, and the platform itself, and you know how committed you are. You know if you're if you're doing a brochure site, you're doing a homepage, attorney a bio page, practice area page, contact page. You never plan to publish. You're not actually trying to generate uh, increased organic traffic, or you just want a place to send people, whether it's in an email signature or just to have a presence online. Squarespace might be great. You know I 
whether I think there might be like $15 a month or something like that, that might be perfect for you, but you're going to sacrifice the features, the robust publishing capability, the technical things you can do to your site to make it perform better. Um, And at the end of the day, if you ever decide to leave Squarespace, you know, if you've built up a bunch of pages on Squarespace, you're going to have to pay somebody to migrate that content off because it won't just be a, at least last time I checked, I don't know, maybe Squarespace is evolving, but there's usually there's not a quick, easy way to push a button and move all of your content from something that's proprietary into WordPress. And that, that's really why I tend to recommend it. Wonderful. Great information. Thanks. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our show, Guy. We'd like to thank our guest today, Guy Sakalakis, for a wonderful program. Guy, if our guests would like to follow up with you, how can they best reach you? I'm on Twitter at GYI, my last name. Usually if you start typing GYI, I come up, but uh, Guy Sakalakis on Twitter or GYI at AttorneySync. It's GYI at AttorneySYNC.com. Love talking about this kind of stuff. So uh, if you're interested in, in following up, I'm happy to have conversations. And please do check out Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Got to plug the our podcast as well. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate being a guest today. Thanks so much for being here with us today, Guy. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Molly Rands. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS, find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.